I want to talk this morning, I should say that my thought this morning is to never give up, never give in, don't quit. Never give up, never give in, don't quit. Any of our lives, I think that, that's not just for the big things, that's for everything, I think. Don't ever quit, don't ever give up, don't ever give in. Perseverance is one of those things that... Um, doesn't seem as prevalent as it used to be in our society. Um, as with many things, I think it was much, one time a lot more common than it is today. Um, it's almost like the old men sitting on a bench on Main Street and they'll reminisce about how things used to be. And you'll hear the term a lot, well, what's wrong with these kids today? They just don't have any common sense anymore. If it's so common, why isn't there more of it? You might say the same things. Um, not that these things don't exist anymore, but I think we'd agree that they're certainly diminished in our society. Uh, morality, um, dignity, men behaving like gentlemen, women behaving like ladies. We just, it still exists, but it's just not as prevalent as it used to be in our society. If you don't believe me, watch about an hour of reality TV some night, and you'll see quite clearly and quite quickly that these things aren't as prevalent as they used to be. You know, when animals, when their population gets to a point where they're endangered of disappearing from the face of the earth, they go on what's called an endangered species list. And there are new laws put in place to protect these animals. It becomes, if it was once legal to hunt them, it now becomes illegal to hunt them in order to restock the population. Some of these things we talk about this morning, dignity, morality, common sense, I think they need an endangered species list just so we can protect them and try and restore them and bring them back to a higher population. But I do think perseverance is one of those things. It's quite diminished in our society today. The word perseverance means steady, persistence in a course of action, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. It implies resolute and unyielding, holding on in following a course of action. I like the phrase, especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles, or discouragement. How many of you have found out it doesn't take a lot of effort to persevere when the road is easy? How many understand it doesn't take a lot of effort to walk downhill? If you're a normal, somewhat in shape human being, it doesn't take a lot of effort to walk down a flight of steps or to go downhill. The effort is when you begin to go up those steps or up the hill. That's when the effort comes in. So that's definitely a diminished trait. If we look just at um, marriage in society today, the way marriage is viewed today compared to what it was 40 or 50 years ago, um, there's just not the same perseverance put into it as there used to be. Now, I'm not saying in every case, you know, Sometimes there's cases where it just doesn't work out, and perhaps there's no other alternative. But, but having said that, I also know in a lot of cases, not a lot of effort goes into it. You know, we, we see, and it seems, I don't know if it seems more prevalent among what we'll call celebrities, or if it's, if it's the same across the broad spectrum of society. But when we have marriages that are lasting months, or even weeks, you can't tell me that a lot of effort was put into that. You can't tell me that any effort was made to fight through what problems they faced to cause them to give up after just a few weeks or a few months. There just seems to be not a lot of reverence for the covenant anymore of marriage. No respect for the vows. It's easier today to just quit if things get difficult. Our laws are written such, our courts are such, it's, just, it's easy to just quit, cut your losses and run. 
And that's what a lot of people do nowadays. Now, again, not every case, you know, where a marriage ends is that the case, but it is rather prevalent in our society today. A vow is a solemn promise or assertion specifically by which a person binds himself to an act, a service, or a condition that requires perseverance. But as I said, we see that lacking today somewhat. Now, based on what we read in the Word, there's also sometimes a lack of, or at least the potential for a lack of perseverance in the church. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Because of sin, the love of many is going to grow cold. If I asked a question this morning of each one of you, and I said, who is going to fight to the end and never give up? I think every hand in this building would go up. And I would believe every one of you. There's not a person, as I look out across this congregation this morning, there's not a person here I think would ever quit. There's not a person here I think would ever get up, give up. There's not a person here I wouldn't believe if you told me you'll never give up, that you'd never give up. There's not one of you. But based on what we read in Matthew, it's also quite evident that the potential to give up resides in each and every one of us. Because sin shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. He doesn't say the love of many will wax cold except at Bible Center Church. He doesn't say the love of many will wax cold except in the state of Wisconsin. The love of many will wax cold except in the United States. He said, because sin shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. There's a great difference in saying with a humble spirit, Lord, help my love not to get cold, and saying with arrogance, well, my love could never grow cold. Tremendous difference. It's in the spirit. It's in the attitude with which we say it. So if we think our love could never grow cold, we better watch out. If we think that we could never fall to temptation, we better watch out. If we don't think we'd ever consider giving up in the face of trials or circumstances, we better look out. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, If you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall. Now, is Paul saying that we're going to fall and there's nothing we can do about it? No, absolutely not. He's not saying that. There's nothing wrong with standing strong. There's nothing wrong with a positive confession. There's nothing wrong with putting the word of the Lord in your mouth and speaking it to your situation and in the midst of your situation. There's nothing wrong with having confidence, but we just need to be careful. Because time seems to have a way, again, not in every case, but sometimes time seems to have a way of turning what started out as humility into pride in people's lives. When pride gets a foothold, arrogance follows. When arrogance is in place, all of a sudden a person lays aside his dependence of God. And as I said before, look out. Once we lay that dependence on God aside, look out. When we begin to think we're not going to fall, that we can't fall, there could be a fall in the future. The love of many will grow cold. If you're going to persevere in an area of your life, you must guard your love towards that area. You must guard your love towards it. Jesus to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.4, he said, I have something against you. You have left your first love. They were in possession of something, but they left it behind. How many of you understand in order to leave something behind, you had to have once been in possession of that thing? They had a first love. If this letter would have been written two or three years earlier, it might have been totally different. You know, the content of the letter. There might not have been any, I have something against you. There might not have been a losing of the first love. But that thing that they were in possession of, somehow they lost it. Somehow they left it. 
They left it behind. They didn't nurture it. They didn't protect it. It became common to them. It became routine to them. It wasn't precious to them anymore. That's what happens when we don't guard that precious thing in our life. It becomes common. It becomes routine. We don't guard it like we once did, and then we begin to drift away from it. They possessed first love at one time, but they lost first love. They were becoming indifferent to it. They were cooling off to it. They were half-hearted in their perseverance. It's hard to persevere in an area when you feel like this. Once you lose your love for something, your desire for something, your passion for something, your determination towards it will soon follow. And, you know, that can happen to anybody. Again, if, if it's happened or if you felt that way, I've felt that way at times. I'm just, I'm just trying to give a warning this morning that it can happen. Once you lose love and desire and passion, determination is going to go too, if that thing isn't checked and if it's not stopped. You can only do a thing you have no passion for for so long before it becomes a task, a chore, a routine, even a weight around your neck. You can only do it for so long before it begins to become these things. When I was 18 years old, I got a job as a meat cutter in a grocery store. I did that for 22 years, and I just loved it. I mean, obviously, nobody loves every minute of everything they do, but overall, that career and that job, I just loved. I couldn't wait to get to work. I, I, you probably don't understand that, because I don't see a lot of people out here who look like they want to be meat cutters, but I just loved it, everything about it. I, I, I would... I would go to work, and, and there come a time towards the end of the 22 years where the things I loved about the job was be, were beginning to be taken away by the way retail grocery stores were beginning to do business, some of the changes that were being in place. And there was a time there where small stores disappeared at an alarming rate because bigger stores were buying. I worked for what was considered a small company. It was about 2,000 people. We were bought out by a company of 15,000 people. And it was just, even in the 2,000 people, person business, there seemed to be somewhat of a family. There was still the, the two um, boys that were running the company at that time, their grandfather had started the company in 1936, and their father took it over in the 50s, and they were running it at that time. But then, so there was somewhat of a family atmosphere to it yet, even in a company of 2,000 people. But in the corporation of 15,000 people, there was none of that. And they come in and begin to change everything, and we were idiots and didn't know what we were doing, and it got to the point where I could see where this thing was going and what the future of that occupation was going to be, and I realized it was probably time to start thinking about moving on. But even in those times where it started to, to make me feel that way, I never lost my love, and I never lost my passion for that job. I would drive to work, and I'd, I'd done the same things thousands of times in those 22 years, but I would drive to work. And I was thinking about what I was going to do when I got there. And it wasn't like I was a workaholic who just couldn't leave work at work. I mean, if you think I'm a workaholic, you come and look at my garden in my yard right now. And you will see quite quickly that I'm not a workaholic. So it wasn't that. I just still had this love for what I did. And I had this passion for what I did. And I'd be planning my day out, even though I'd done it so many times before. And, and on certain days, I had to have this done by this time, you know, to get an order into the warehouse or to get an order done for somebody. I just loved it. But the time came for me to leave that. So at 40 years old, after 22 years in one profession, I switched to another profession that I'd been in for the last 16 years. Now, I will pause for a minute and let you add up 40 and 16 in your head if you'd like to. 
Now this new job, it was more of a mechanical position than my original one was. I am not the most gifted person mechanically. I, I would rate myself somewhere as competent. There are people that it just comes so naturally to them, and it just amazes me what they can do with a set of tools. And there are people who just, they don't know anything. You ask them for a crescent wrench, and they'll ask you which one that is in the toolbox. I'm somewhere in the middle, mechanically. So I learned this job. I could do this job. I was fairly good at this job. There were a lot of technicians that were better. I went to a company that works on safety valves. They're called any system under pressure, be it a steam drum, um, an air tank, a liquid tank, they have to have what's called a safety valve. Your water heater at home has a safety valve on it. You ever notice that little bronze thing on top with the pipe coming out of it? That's a safety valve. It's designed to, so you don't have an overpressure situation. It can cause um, either a minor inconvenience or even a catastrophe. Okay. Well, I learned that job. And I could do that job, but I never had any passion for that job. And a lot of times that job was, as I said before, it was a chore. That passion that I had to be a meat cutter wasn't there to be a valve technician. It just was never there. So there were a lot more days where it was a lot harder to get myself pumped up to go to work than in my previous profession. Now, in the midst of... After I'd been there for a few years, I got introduced to the shipping and receiving end of it. Um, for the first 14 and a half years, I had to travel for my work. I got introduced to the shipping and receiving end of it, the inventory end of it. For some reason, I just love that. Now, for the last two and a half, for the last year and a half, I've gotten away from the technician part, and my job now is exclusively shipping and receiving and inventory. Managing the inventory, controlling what we order, you know, trying to, if something we sell a lot of, you order more of that, obviously. If something doesn't sell very well, you maybe keep one or two around in case someone needs one. But I just love that aspect of my job now. So that passion, and I always miss that about the job. I missed having passion. Have you ever had passion for something and then for some reason didn't have it? It almost feels like a loss, maybe almost like a grieving, you know, when that's not there anymore. So to have passion for that thing again is really a wonderful thing to re-experience after all those years. Now that can be true. I said we can only do a thing for so long that we have no passion for before it comes a task. That can be true about the things of life. That can also be true about the things of God, unfortunately. If we have no passion for our relationship with God, that can become a chore. That can become a routine. It's those times where we really have to dig in and not give up, not quit, not stop. If you're going to persevere in an area of life, you must guard and protect your love and passion for that area. If we're going to persevere in Christ, we must also love and protect that relationship that we have with him. Now, there are a lot of things that will cause people to not persevere, a lot of things that will cause them to give up. One of the things that will cause them to give up is a loss of spiritual enthusiasm. Let me read for you in Revelation chapter 2. We read verse 4 already, but I want to read the, the content around that verse. Revelation 2.1 says, This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen from your first love. 
Obviously, something here caused a loss of spiritual enthusiasm. It seems that they were conducting the business of the church without the passion for the church. It seems that they were conducting the things of God without the passion for God. So a lack of spiritual enthusiasm can cause perseverance to diminish. Wrong association can lead to a failure of perseverance. Let me read for you 1 Kings chapter 11. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed his people not to intermarry with those nations because the women they married would lead them to worship their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And sure enough, they led his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship their gods instead of trusting only the Lord his God as his father David had done. Solomon worshipped Astoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites. Thus Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites. Solomon built such shrines for all his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Wrong association. Now, when I say wrong association, I'm not talking about Christians talking to people who are unsafe. Okay, we used to kind of be taught that way, you know, when, when they take the phrase, have no part with the world or no association with the world, those are the kind of people we don't talk to. Well, if a Christian doesn't talk to an unsaved person, how's that person going to get saved for crying out loud? Okay, so that's not what we're talking about when we say wrong associations. But Solomon allowed himself to enter some wrong associations. Solomon, now think about the life of Solomon. This man who chose wisely, he was offered anything he wanted from the Lord, and he chose wisdom. He chose wisely. Solomon, who judged wisely. Solomon, who was chosen by God to build the temple that his father David was not even allowed to build. This same Solomon wound up worshiping false gods, and he even allowed his wife to sacrifice to those gods. It said he built altars to the god Molech. Do you know what the sacrifice to the god Molech was? Children. Small children. Solomon, who asked for wisdom, who judged wisely, who built the temple, wound up building altars where children could be sacrificed. I don't know if he participated in those, but he might as well have, because he allowed it to happen while he was king. He might as well have participated in it. So wrong associations. God said, don't do it. said in verse 2, the Lord had clearly instructed his people not to intermarry. Don't do it. Wrong associations. It goes on to say that in his old age. This didn't happen just in a matter of days or weeks. This took years to turn his heart and turn his head from where he asked God to wisdom to where he was building shrines to false gods and making sacrifices to those gods. It took years. If Solomon would have persevered in his relationship with the Lord, this never would have happened. But because he lost his first love, because he allowed that relationship to grow cold, because he gave up, because he didn't persevere, because he quit on his relationship with God, this is what happened. A man as great as Solomon, worshiping false gods. 
and allowing his wife's wives to make sacrifices to him. So wrong association can lead to a failure to persevere. A lack of spiritual insight can cause people to not persevere. In John 6, 66, Jesus had delivered a somewhat difficult statement to the people, and the Bible said at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. What did they do? They quit. They gave up. They gave in. They didn't stick around and ask Jesus to explain it to him. They didn't try to figure it out. They didn't give it some time to see if understanding would come. They just quit and walked away. No spiritual insight, no vision, no effort, no perseverance. Just quit and walk away. The love of the world can cause us to fail to persevere. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul said, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. 1 John 2.15, it says, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you don't have the love of the Father in you. You know, and, and to be real honest, sometimes just life itself can make it difficult to persevere, to push on, to not quit. It's hard to persevere when you hit a period in your life where every time you try and move forward, something knocks you backwards. It's hard to persevere when every time you get up, something knocks you right back down. But persevere we must. We have to persevere because failure to do so carries too great of a price in our life. Look at Lot's wife. They were told to leave the city. Genesis 19, verse 17 and 26, they were told to leave the city. Don't look back. She looked back. I don't know if she just couldn't resist seeing this great sight of a city being destroyed. I don't know if as a mother she just wanted one last memory of, of, of their home and their life there and where they raised their children. Something caused her to look back. But at what price? Looking back cost her her life. Perseverance does not look back. Perseverance looks forward. We have to look forward. We cannot look back. Look, I don't know where heaven is. I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea when the time comes how we travel there, but I know that heaven is not behind me and the things I've done in the past. Heaven is in front of me, and it's in front of you too. Philippians 3.14, Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Another translation says, I strain to reach the end of the race. The end of the race, saints, is not back at the starting line. It's at the finish line. We press forward. We don't go backwards. Amen? Amen. Our future as individuals is not in the past. It's in the future. It's not behind us. It's ahead of us. Our future as a church is not what we did back there. It's what's going to happen out here in front of us. That's where our future as a church is. We cannot go forward if we're looking backward. We can't persevere if we're constantly looking back to something there. Now, there are things back there that we need to... Pastor spoke a message once about setting markers. There are moments in your life, defining moments in your life and if your walk with the Lord that you need to remember and you need to grab hold to. But it's not that we go back and live at that moment. We, we use that moment now for encouragement, for strength. Look what the Lord did here when you're in a situation. Look back to a moment in your life and think what the Lord did in that moment and use that in the current situation. But we don't live back there. We don't exist back there. Perseverance causes us to go forward. Amen? Perseverance does not look back. Perseverance looks forward. How about the unfaithful spies? We, we touched on this quite a bit two months ago. But in Numbers 13, 31 and 33... The spies, the ten spies out of the twelve, they went up to see the land. And their comments were, we can't go there. 
They're stronger than we are. The land will destroy us. There's giants in the land. Terribly negative report. You're not going to persevere if you give in to fear. Now, I'm not telling you that you are wrong or, or bad if you experience fear. There's some things out there that are fearful, okay? It's what we do with that fear, I think, and how we respond in that fear that determines our success or our failure. We're going to experience fear, but fear will cause us to turn back if we don't meet it in the right frame of mind, in the right spirit. Fear will cause us to turn back. It'll cause us to give in. It'll cause us to quit. But again, at what price? In this case, fear cost the ten, those ten spies immediately cost them their lives. And it cost the life of every person over 20 years old in the congregation of Israel over the next 40 years wanting in their wilderness. They were promised the land, but they never were able to go and possess their inheritance because of fear, because they quit, because they, they even said, let's go back to Egypt. There wasn't a person there, I don't think, that didn't want out of Egypt that day. But yet in the face of fear, in the face of these giants, they even said, let's go back to Egypt. Perseverance does not go back. Perseverance goes forward. Joshua and Caleb didn't look back, though, did they? Of the ten spies, Joshua and Caleb come. Look at the difference in their confession. In Numbers 13.30 and 14.9, let's go at once and take the land. The ten spies says, we can't go there. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go up at once and take the land. The ten spies said they are stronger than we are. Joshua and Caleb said, we can certainly conquer it. The ten spies said, there's giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb said, don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're helpless prey to us. The spies said, the land will destroy us. Joshua and Caleb said, they have no protection. The Lord is with us. He's not with them. I don't care how big they were. I don't care how many of them they were. The Lord was not with them. But he was with Joshua. He was with Caleb. They would have been with Israel if they'd have went. But they didn't go. Joshua and Caleb saw exactly the same things the other spies saw. But one side looked at it with man's perspective and wanted to go back. Wanted to quit. The other side looked at it with a God perspective and wanted to go possess it. They wanted to move forward and take their possession. In 1 Samuel 17, 45-51... When David meets Goliath, the armies of Israel did not want to persevere. No one would go out and face him. They wanted to quit. They wanted to turn around and go home. They didn't want nothing to do with his fight. David went forward in the name of the Lord. Just a boy. I mean, you know, history suggests 16 years old, 20 years old. I mean, I guess the term boy is relative. But in, in comparison to the others there, he was a boy, apparently. But he went forward in the name of the Lord. And in the power of of the name of the Lord, a rock and a slingshot were all that were necessary to win that battle, to persevere. David wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going to turn and go back. When Goliath moved close to attack, the Bible says David ran out to meet him. A nine history suggests Goliath was about nine feet tall, I believe. David, a boy, however big he was, run to meet him with a sling and a stone. This giant had his armor bearer, he had his armor on, his sword, his spear, everything, his shield. David ran to meet him with a slingshot and a stone because David went in the name of the Lord. He persevered. He wasn't going to quit. Are we running to the battle lately or are we running away from it? I think we need to ask ourselves that sometimes. Are we running to the battle or are we running away from the battle? We need to run to the battle because we go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
Amen. That's our shield. That's our buckler. People who persevere have some things in common. They focus on God rather than focusing on themselves. They recognize where the strength to persevere comes from. My help doesn't come from the north. My help doesn't come from the south. It doesn't come from the east or the west, but my help comes from the Lord. People who persevere recognize where the strength to persevere comes from. They don't try to do it their own way. They focus on a goal and never lose sight of it. Don't look at the waves. Jesus said to Peter, come on, walk towards me. And Peter jumped out, but he looked around at the waves and he began to sink. Don't look at the waves. Don't look at the waves. Focus on the goal. Never lose sight of the goal. And just quite simply, people who persevere, they just don't quit. They don't. They know the meaning of the word, but they will not apply it to their situation or to their life. They just don't quit. If you're in a battle today, saints, be encouraged by the word of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us cast off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give in. Galatians 6, 9 says, Don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. Hebrews 12, 12 says, Take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. Sometimes those hands get tired in the battle, don't they? Your hands are going to get tired when you persevere. Your legs are going to get shaky. But in the name of the Lord this morning, take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. Amen? Amen. In October 29, 1941, Winston Churchill gave a speech at what was called the Harrow School. He was speaking about the previous 10 months of war they'd been engaged in in Germany. And this has come to be known to people as the never give in speech. Okay? And I think you've all heard the quote, never give in, by Winston Churchill. I looked the speech up online last night when I was doing this. And I read the whole speech and I never read it. All I've ever heard is never give in. But there's passages around that that I want to read for you this morning. Again, speaking about the war, Winston Churchill said... Surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of this country were gone and finished and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. Give the Lord a praise this morning, would you? Amen. I'm no prophet, but I will tell you this morning that that is a prophetic word. Church, I can say to you that we can be sure that we only have to persevere to conquer. You believe that? You need to believe that, and I believe you do. We only need to persevere to conquer. Never give in. Never give in. 
Some of you might remember, most of you probably remember a song a few years ago by a group, but the song said, when the valley is deep, when the mountain is steep, when the body is weary, when we stumble and fall, when the choices are hard, when we're battered and scarred, when we spend our resources, when we've given our all, in Jesus' name we press on. In Jesus' name we press on. Dear Lord, with the prize clear before our eyes, we find the strength to press on. Amen? Amen. People who persevere and find their strength in Christ find the strength to press on. Now, perseverance has to have a goal. There has to be a point of it. There has to be a reason to persevere. You know, would a man on the coldest night of winter go sit outside and refuse to put a coat on to keep warm because he wanted to persevere? No, that's not perseverance. It's at best stupidity and at worst a lot of other things, but that's not perseverance. Perseverance has to have a goal. Perseverance has to have a point. And I think the reason for perseverance is hope. The reason for perseverance is hope. Your perseverance must have hope. You've got to have hope that you're going to attain something, that you have a goal, that you're reaching for something out there. If your perseverance does not have hope, how long are you going to remain steadfast in your perseverance? Possibly not very long. Some people would remain longer than others, you know, just because of their makeup and personality and so forth. But if that's all we're going on, any perseverance with not hope eventually is going to fall and it's going to fail. Perseverance has to have hope attached to it. Hope is to long for. It's to expect with desire. I just can't imagine trying to persevere in an area without hope. It's hope that causes us to press on. It's the hope that causes us to never give in. The hope of something better. The hope of realizing a goal. The hope of finding out what's out there ahead of us. Not what's behind, but what's out ahead. So begin to inject hope into your perseverance if you find that lacking. I mean, and I don't know, you know, I think it's one of these things that each one of us in our own time need to examine ourselves, examine where we're at. And if you see you're trying to persevere without hope, go ahead and begin to inject some hope into that perseverance, all right? Encourage yourself in the Word. What made three wise men travel years to track down a little baby boy? You know, what made an elderly, frail, sick old woman claw and elbow and paw her way through a throng of people, just not even so she could talk to Jesus, but so that she could just get close enough to reach out and touch the hem of his garment? What made her do that? What caused Paul to say at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What made all these people act this way? I say it was hope. There might have been a lot of other things, but I say it was hope. Now, you can say it was desperation. You can say it was despair. You can say they were grasping at straws, but I say it was hope. I say it was hope in the wise men that caused them to travel that far just to see that baby. There was hope in that woman who had tried for 12 years to get healed from this issue that she had, and everyone had failed her. The Bible says, in fact, she had become worse. There was hope that just one touch of the garment of the master could make her whole. Hope. Amen? Look, my daughter got married Friday, and I got three hours sleep last night, so give me a break with this, okay? <laughs> but it was hope. Make sure today that your hope is invested in the right things. 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen says, If we have hope in Christ only for this life, we are the most miserable people in the world. Now, you must have your hope in Christ for the things in this life. But if your hope in Christ is just in this world, 
<laughs> we're miserable. You might not be now, but you're going to be. If hope is only in this life only. It can't just be in this life. It just can't be. Invest hope in the right things. We have everything available to us that the cross of Jesus Christ provided, but if we misdirect our hope, we can still be miserable. If our hope is in earthly things rather than eternal things, even with everything available to us, we're still miserable. It's just nothing. So don't focus your hope on earthly things. Let's begin today to lift our vision higher if we need to. Let's begin to invest our hope in eternal things. Amen? Not in the earthly things, but in eternal things. Now, you can hope all you want that the Republicans and the Democrats are going to play nice through this election cycle, and that come January, when the new Congress and the new president is put in, that they're just going to get everything done that needs to be done. I think we need to hope for that. But I'm thinking there's a chance if that's where your hope lies for the future, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be miserable. You can hope for the economy to be so robust that we all become millionaires, but it's probably not going to happen. You can hope when you go home and check your lottery ticket that you won last night, but that's probably not going to happen either. These are earthly things. These are temporal things. If our hope lies just in those things, we're going to be miserable. But our hope needs to be on things that are eternal. Huh? Good oh, thank you. <laughs> Our hope needs to be in things eternal. Eventually we'll be disappointed if it's not. Back in the 80s, some of you remember, two very high-profile public ministries suffered through terrible scandals, and people were just devastated. I mean, people left the church because of it. People were mad at God because of it. And there's, there's many... There's many facets of why that happened and things that were involved. I think one of the problems, though, uh, one that I want to point out, why people were so devastated. Now, these men were highly skilled. I mean, they were good at what they did. They were charismatic. They had a way of drawing people to them. But I think that's the problem. I think people got drawn to the man. They put their hope in temporal things, they put their hope in man and didn't put it on God. Perhaps they started with their hope in God, but over time, like I say, the charisma of these men and, and so forth, I think their hope shifted. They didn't guard it. They didn't protect it. They didn't persevere in walking with the Lord. I think they began to walk with the man and with the ministry rather than the Lord. So when the man failed, the people were then devastated. We must not put our hope of eternal things in any man or any woman. I don't care who it is. We can't do it. I stand before you today and I say I cannot imagine being a part of this church under better pastors than we have in Pastor Don and Jan. I don't think there's better pastors that exist on the face of the earth. I've, I've, known, I've known him since 1968. That's 48 years. And in that time, I've Obviously, in 1968, I could care less. But over the years, I've watched the, the consistency of his character. And I've watched the way they love people and the way they minister to people and how they don't push people away until they become what they think they should be, how they stand with open arms and welcome people. I've watched how they don't expect perfection from people, but how they see potential in people. I don't think we could have better pastors, but as great as they are, we cannot put our hope of eternal things in Pastor Don and Jan. Right? Okay. We need to love them. 
We need to trust them. We should rely on them. We should lean on them. We should depend on them. We should support them. We should pray for them. We should encourage them. But we cannot put our hope in them. We can't do it. Our hope has to be in God. Hope must be invested in something unmovable, in something unshakable, in something powerful. So put your hope in something worth hoping for. As we close this morning, I'm going to suggest to you, if you haven't done it already, begin to invest some hope in heaven. We don't think about heaven a lot anymore. Some do, some don't. Um, I think a lot of times, for a lot of people, the only time they probably think of heaven is at a funeral. But to restrict the concept of heaven to funerals is like restricting the birth of Jesus Christ to Christmas Day. That is such a glorious thing, the birth of Jesus. I mean, let's face it, with people will argue, well, I think the birth was more significant. Well, I think his death and resurrection was more significant. Well, all I know is, if it wasn't for the birth, there couldn't have been a death, burial, and resurrection. You know? So do not, it's the most glorious thing, the birth of Jesus Christ, the miracle of his birth, how he's born to a virgin, how everything worked out. It's such a wonderful thing that cannot be restricted to Christmas Day or the Christmas season. Heaven, the thought of heaven and hope of heaven cannot be restricted to when we stand here and there's a casket in front of us and we're saying goodbye to someone and we're talking about what a wonderful person they were. Or, or, and we're talking about the hope of heaven and how we're there now. That's a wonderful thing, but it can't be restricted to those times. I think we need to walk our walk with the Lord with a hope of heaven because we're not looking back because it's not back there. We're looking ahead. Amen? Amen. And that's where our hope is. Yes, we're not saved just to get ourselves to heaven, but what a glorious thing heaven is and what a glorious, wonderful thing it's going to be. I mean, heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's the future home of the saints. It was built by the hand of God. There's room enough there for all the believers. You know, when I was a kid, I thought all those poor Lutherans and those Methodists and Catholics, they're not going. We're the only ones. No, there's room for all believers there. Room for all of them. There's no sorrow, no crying, no pain. There's no curse. There's no night. There's no death there. Even though death has been defeated, we still have to deal with death. But in heaven, there's no death. There's joy in Christ's presence. And the glory of God in heaven will be endless. The worst thing on that list is better than the best thing about this earth. And I don't think there's any worse things there. But the, the thing that means the least to you on this list is better than the best thing of this earth, than anything we'll ever have on this earth. And yet, what makes heaven something to hope for and have hope in is not any of those things that I've listed. It's that Jesus Christ is there. And that we're going to see Jesus. Can you just think about it for a minute? When you walk through that gate and you walk into that city and you look at Jesus for the first time, everything you faced in life is going to be worth it. It's not going to matter anymore. It's going to be instantly worth it. Everything we faced in our lifetime is worth it. Everything we thought through, all the trials we endured, all the heartache will be as nothing in that moment. When we look on Jesus... And we're going to do it because we persevere. We're going to do it because we don't quit. We're going to do it because we're people who never give up, who never give in, who don't quit. We're going to be there. And it's going to be wonderful. So amen. This morning, let's run our race. Let's persevere. Let's not just persevere. Let's persevere in hope. Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Father, we just thank you today, Lord Jesus.
We thank you, Lord, that you don't call us to do anything that you don't also equip us to do. So we know, Lord, that perseverance in this life can be a difficult thing, depending on what we face, depending on the situations we find ourselves in. But yet, Lord, you don't call us to do anything. You don't equip us to do. So we thank you today for the strength that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that we can have our hope in you. We thank you that we can go into this world, Lord God, on good days and bad days. We thank you that we can go face any problem as David faced Goliath in the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter what the enemy comes against us with. We go against him in the name of the Lord. And that's more powerful than anything the enemy has, Lord. And we thank you for that. And we just pray, Lord God, I pray that you'd help each one of us here to persevere, to have hope, to persevere in hope, to not quit, to not give in, to not give up. We just ask that you'd bless this people this week, Lord. Bless our pastors on our vacation. Let them just come back refreshed and revived, Lord God, and you continue the work and the direction that this church is going. Father, help us to not look back, but help us to move forward with hope and perseverance. In Jesus' name, all the people said amen.